how many choices does the average person make a day? And I found that researchers say that the average person makes about 35,000 decisions each day. You know, in order for you to arrive here today, you had to make some choices. You had to choose whether you wanted to get up on time or to hit that snooze button. You had a choice on what you wanted to wear this morning. You had a choice to either leave your house and come here to Woodland and worship together or to watch online. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for joining with us as well today. You know, you had a choice as you came today on what route you wanted to take. And if you got stopped by a train, you had a choice whether you wanted to sit there and wait for about 45 minutes or go around. And then when you pulled into the parking lot, you had a choice of where you wanted to park. And then you had a choice whether you wanted to sit in your car or to come in. And then when you came in, you had another choice. Did you want to sit in the same seat that you always sit in? Or sit somewhere else and try to make a new friend. And those are just some of the choices that you and I just had to make today and this morning just to get here. The thing about choices is that it's hard to tell when a choice is small, whether it's insignificant or not. And when you, you pull into a gas station to maybe grab a couple things, like a bag of chips and a nice cold Coca-Cola, you know, that choice may be small and insignificant, but it could become a life-changing situation if someone accidentally starts driving away with the gas pump still attached to the vehicle, right? All of a sudden, now, life-changing situation. There was a TV show called Let's Make a Deal, and it's still on today, and the host would give the contestant money, and then they could either keep the money or choose an item behind door number one, two, or three, and they had no idea what was behind those doors, but usually behind one door would be an item worth far more than the value of the money that was given them, and, and then another door, there was an item worth far less than the money that was given to them. But they had a choice. Do they want to keep it or choose something else? And here's what I've learned when it comes to choices, is that we're all going to make some really good choices in life. And then there's going to be times in our lives where we make some choices where we wish we could have a do-over. And most of us, we want to make the right choices. And wouldn't it be great if we were able to see into the future before we had to make that choice to see what would happen, right? Because then we'd make different choices, but unfortunately we can't. You see, nobody wants to marry the wrong person. Nobody wants to go to the wrong school. Nobody wants to buy the wrong car and then spend more money fixing it throughout those years of owning it. Nobody wants those things. But because these things happen, right, the choices we make, they affect our future. Have you ever found yourself in a situation and you've just, you know, said this, how on earth did I get into this mess? Well, the answer is simple. It was a few simple choices that you made. 
You know, there was a story about a young manager who was replacing an executive that was retiring. And the young man, he, he approached the elder, respected leader, and he asked, he said, Sir, I know that you're a legend here at the company, and you've just become this incredible leader, and could you give me some advice as I try to fill your shoes? And the older man pondered the question, and he responded, he goes, three words, make good decisions. Well, that's great advice, the young man replied, and he began to write those words down, and and then he thought for a second, and he goes, and what is the key to making good decisions? And the executive thought for a second, and he said, one word, experience. And the young man said, that's wonderful, and how do I get this? As he begins to just scribble the word experience down on the paper, and the executive thought for a second, and he said, two words, bad decisions right? The choices we make make a difference. And that's why we want to make wise choices. You know, we make our choices and the choices you make today will become your lifestyle tomorrow. We're in a series called Get Used to Different. And when Jesus, he started his ministry here, he began to shake things up. His ministry and his teaching was really totally different than what the religious leaders were used to. And when Jesus taught, he was astounding everyone who was listening with his teachings. He was making everyone think differently about the way they viewed and understood God. And so the religious leaders, they obviously didn't like this, and so they come up with this plan to try to trick and trap Jesus, and they ask him, what is the most important commandment of the law? And so Jesus is about to reply, and will you stand with me this morning as, as we get ready to read the word of God? It says this in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, God, for all that you do for us. And I pray in the next few moments that you help us to see that the choices we make make a difference. And so help us to make wise choices in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, the religious leaders, they were trying to force Jesus into this trap, but instead, Jesus gives us this great response, and he challenges us to choose to think differently about the way we view God and the way we treat other people. And this morning, I want us to look how Je Jesus challenges us in this message to make a choice in how we are to relate to him and to others. And so the first thing I said was, choose relationships over rules. Choose relationships over rules. You know, when I got married, there were some rules that I said I would live by. You know, these rules were, were written out and spelled out for me. And so when I said I do, I understood that I was committing to those rules. Rules like, you know, be faithful to Jeanette as long as we both live. Rules like to provide for her and to meet her needs. To be committed to her for better or for worse. 
But as soon as we got married, I soon discovered that there were other rules that I had to learn and to live by, right? And if you've been married, you understand what I'm saying, right? And if I look at marriage, if I looked at, at Jeanette and my relationship as only a bunch of rules that I had to keep, I would become miserable and, and bitter. But since I love my wife and I want to please her, Instead of looking at the rules, I choose to look at the relationship that we have. And because of the relationship we have, it's my desire to please her. And so I made a vow to love her, and I made a vow to put her needs ahead of mine. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is telling us to choose to think differently about the way you've been viewing others. And I think each of us understands that when a person gets married, they're putting their spouse's needs, or at least they're supposed to put their spouse's needs ahead of their own. But Jesus is saying, listen, instead of putting yourself first, instead of putting your needs first, instead of looking out for number one, begin to treat others the way you want to treat yourself. And Jesus isn't saying, you know, just stop at your friends. He's taking it a step farther and he says, treat everyone. Treat your neighbor. You know, it's one thing when one of your close friends gives you a call and says, hey, you know, I'm moving some stuff on Saturday. Can you lend me a hand? They're your friends. They've been there for you. They've helped you out all these years, right? And so you say, yeah, of course, I'd be glad to help you. But when that one person asks for your help, and you know that one person, that person that you just asked God, why on earth did you put them in my life? They haven't helped me at all. The only thing they've done to help me is to try to learn patience and I haven't learned any patience with them whatsoever. And Jesus is telling us, choose relationships. In James 2, verse 8, it says, Indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. So instead of just looking at them, look at relationships. And, and when it's hard to see, see them, you know, for the good and the things like that, make sure you choose the good of the other person. Thomas Aquinas, he defined love as the choice to will the good of the other. You know, we won't be able to have growing relationships with others unless we see the good in them unless we decide to look past their faults. You know, would you really want to listen to someone who's trying to help you if, if you know that they have to or because they love you? They want the best for you, right? I'd rather listen to someone that's saying something to me because they love me and they want the best for me. See, love is an action. It's, it's selfless. It's really easy to see the negative and the flaws and the failures in others. But God calls us to look past those flaws, to look at them the way that God sees them, so that we can build them up. See, it's a choice that we have to make, so choose to show them kindness. Choose to show them kindness. You know, in the movie Cinderella, before Cinderella's mother passes away, she tells her to have courage and be kind. 
You know, Cinderella, her dad marries again, and her stepmother, her stepsisters just treat her terribly. Yet in all the things they do to her, Cinderella continues to repay them in kindness. Choose to see the good in others. Show them kindness the way that God has shown you kindness. And you know, how do I do that? How do I know how to do that? Well, God's word shows us. It shows us what is good. You see, you and I, we were created in God's image, and while sin may have distorted that image, the image is still there. Everything good in us is a reflection of who God is. So when you read through the Bible, we get an image of the goodness of God. We see how God has demonstrated those qualities over and over again to us, and he's showing us, and he's modeling it to us so that we can live that way and treat others the way God treats us. You see, when we choose relationships over rules and model Christ-like character, then grace, mercy, and peace abide with those who live in truth and love. In 2 John verse 3, it says, Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from the God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. And I want you to underline those three words, grace, mercy, and peace. I think all of us could use a little more of that in our lives. Don't you agree? We receive grace, we receive mercy, we receive peace when we live in truth and love. And the Pharisees, they, they question who Jesus was, right? Because they lived for the rules, they didn't live for relationship. They, they lived making sure that the rules were followed and kept. And if someone broke them, everyone knew about it. But Jesus said, choose relationships over rules and receive my grace, receive my mercy, receive my peace. Secondly, choose authenticity over appearance. Choose authenticity over appearance. Our mission statement here at Woodland is celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. And we use the word passionate a lot around here at Woodland, and, and that's what this means. It means to be authentic. There was a pastor who visited a member of his church at their home, and, and when they had finished having some coffee, the, the pastor said, I'm so glad to see that you're living a very comfortable life. And the church member responded, oh, pastor, if you want to know how we really live, you need to come when you're not here, right? Because we all put on this facade. Many of us live that way. We try to make it appear that we're doing better than we really are. We try to impress others. People will buy new cars, fancy homes. They'll buy the latest and greatest and try to make themselves look better than they are when in fact they may be struggling financially. We put on a show to try to impress others, hoping that they think we're doing better than we really are. And that's what the religious leaders did. They knew all the right things to say, but their motives, their heart was in the wrong place. And they made sure everyone saw them practice their faith. Matthew 23, 5 says, everything they do is for show. You know, what we do, what we say, how we have 
fun, where we go, how we respond to other people, you know, it either lends credibility to our faith that our faith is authentic or it tells others that it's just for show. And if we're going to choose authenticity over appearance, then we need to make sure we trust God's word over our emotions. If we're going to live authentic lives, it starts with God. You know, he can own, he's the only one that can transform our heart and make the billboard of our life line up with the small print. You know, being authentic is what really makes us salt and light in this world. It's what attracts people to Jesus. So if I'm going to get my emotions in check, I need to make sure I place my trust in God's word and make sure I apply it to my life. And so I have to be real with God. If we're going to be authentic, we have to be real with God. You know, when you pray, be real. Let them know what you're going through. Let them know your struggles. Let them know the things that, that need to change. Let them know. You know, one of the things we struggle with as humans is that we don't want to appear weak in front of other people. And let me tell you something that's quite freeing. God already knows everything that's going on in your life. He already knows all your struggles. He knows. And here's the best part. He still loves you the same. There's nothing that will make him think of you any different. And so instead of listening to the fears, just be real with God. Be authentic. Be transparent. Isaiah 1.18 says, come on now. Let's discuss this. God's saying, let's have a conversation about this. I already know. I already know your failures. It's kind of like a parent that already knows what their kid had done, right? They're like, come on, let's talk about that. I already know. Then why don't you just tell me, right? God says, let's talk about this. I already know all about your failures. But if you talk to me, we can fix it. You know, when we're real with God, he helps us move from that place of fear, the place of doubt, to a place of faith and trust. And so be real with God. And then be real with yourself. You know, feelings that we have, they're both a blessing and a curse. And at times we're excited, we're joyful, you know, while other moments that come, we're discouraged and depressed. I want you to imagine going to your favorite restaurant. You're so excited to go there and you get sat and the server comes and, and they're new. This is their first day on the job and, and they're just horrible. It takes them forever to even come and, and take your drink order. And then by the time, you know, they take it, it takes another eternity for them to just bring you a cup of water. And you're like, I could have ran and got it myself. How long does it take to get water here? Or imagine this. All week you've been wanting that steak. And you've been looking forward to it. And you order that steak and that steak comes out, and you get ready to cut into it, and you find out you can't because it is hard. It's beef jerky, right? They overcooked it. Instead of cooking it perfectly for you, it's cooked well done. It's just worse, right? And you want to have some words with that chef. You want to say, you know what? I could have stayed home and cooked myself a steak a whole lot better than you, right? If we're to trust God's word over our emotions, we need to understand God created us with emotions. And while our emotions are a gift to us, how we manage them determines whether or not they're a blessing or a curse. 
And we have to learn that when we don't have the right words to say or the actions to describe how we feel, we got to turn to the Bible to find them. And if we're going to choose authenticity over appearance, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And when we begin to allow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when we allow those in our life, we begin to develop Christ-like character, and that begins to reveal who Jesus is. 1 John 2.6 says, those who say they live in God should live as Jesus did. And in order to choose authenticity over appearance, we have to place our emotions in the hands of God. Instead of allowing emotions to rule us, we begin to allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in us, and we begin to live like Jesus did. And then third, choose righteousness over respectability. Choose righteousness over respectability. There was a man who was going on a picnic with his date, and he went to get some fried chicken dinners. Well, while he ordered, the cashier inadvertently gave the man all the proceeds for that day. And unbeknownst to him, instead of getting the fried chicken, he got a whole bag of cash. It was worth over $800. Well, he arrived at the picnic spot with his date, and he began to pull out what he thought was his fried chicken dinners to discover that money. And he thought for a second, and he said, I got to return it. And so he put the money back in the bag, drove back to the restaurant, and by now the manager is just frantic, wondering what happened to the cash, what he was going to do. And, And the moment the gentleman walked in, He became an instant hero. And the gentleman said to the manager, he said, you know, I came here to purchase some fried chicken dinners and I wound up with all this money. The manager was so thrilled, he said, let me call the newspaper. You're the most honest man I ever heard of. To which the man quickly replied, oh no, don't do that. You see, the woman I'm with isn't my wife. You see, the manager was obviously thrilled that this man returned the money. He was was respected for his decision, to be honest, but the man wasn't choosing to live a life of righteousness. You see, when we choose righteousness, we're turning away from our sinful desires and we turn towards Jesus. We can't be righteous on our own. It's only through what Jesus did at Calvary. His death, his resurrection what gave us our righteousness. It's through Christ. It's through our obedience and pursuing his godly character that we can live a life of righteousness. You see, the religious leaders, they love the idea of people looking at them to see how they lived. They thrived on the idea that people looked to them. They used their position to get respect They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to be greeted with respect there. And they chose to be respected over living righteously. Matthew 23, 6 says, they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seat of honor in the synagogues. And Jesus made it very clear that the religious leaders love to make a spectacle out of everything. 
They would stand up. They would pray loudly and share their great accomplishments for all to hear. They would boast of how they would fast all the time and how faithfully they would tithe. And though on the outward they appeared to be godly and living a godly life, on the inside they were doing it for all the wrong reasons. And God wants us to live a life that pleases him. And it starts with living a life of integrity. Paul Harvey, he tells a story of four young men that were late to a class one day. And they entered the classroom and they they went up to the teacher and began to share the story of why they were late. They said, you know, our car got a flat this morning and, and that's why we were late this morning. Well, the teacher was so sympathetic about their problem and shared how sorry she was about having them be late that they missed a test that day. But she was willing to let them make it up. And so she put the four students in the four corners of the room and said, you can pass the test if you answer just this one question. Which tire was flat? Integrity. See, Joseph is a great example of a person who modeled integrity and chose righteousness over respectability. And if you're unfamiliar with his life, He's one of 12 sons, and he's his dad's favorite. And one day he has this dream about his father and that his father and his brothers were going to bow down to him. And and Joseph shares it with his family. Well, his brothers, they can't stand him at all. and, And one day they just had enough of him. And so they decided to just throw him into this pit. And, and so they did. They threw him into the pit. And, and while he's in the pit, they got this another brilliant idea. And they, began, they sold him to the Egyptians into slavery. Well, he was taken to Egypt and ended up in this Egyptian officer's home called Potiphar. And, and while there, he began to gain favor. And he began to be able to handle all the affairs of Pharaoh, or Potiphar's life, he was in charge of everything. Well, one day Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, and because Joseph chose a life of integrity, he immediately ran out of there. False accusations were made against Joseph, and he was thrown into prison. But after a while, Pharaoh had a dream, and Joseph interpreted it. And Joseph was now put in charge over everything. Pharaoh is the only one who is more powerful than Joseph. Well, a famine strikes the land, and eventually Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking, looking for food and, and to buy grain. And, and he, they encounter Joseph, and they don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes his brothers instantly. And he doesn't reveal himself to him yet. He wants to see if they have changed or not. Well, he discovers that they have changed. He reveals himself to them and, you know, they hug, they embrace. And Joseph brings the whole family back to Egypt to take care of them. And the Bible says this, that the Lord was with Joseph and caused everything he did to succeed. Joseph chose a life of integrity. And integrity in Hebrews to become complete, to, to finish in purity. God isn't looking for an incredible person to use. He's looking for a credible person to use. 
And all too often, we try to become complete by pretending to be someone or something that we're not, and we try to live another way. Be the same person in front of the crowd as you are behind the scenes. You know, what's inside of us comes out, and our, our actions reveal who we really are, for the good or for the bad. And so if you come to church here and you bring a coworker, would they recognize you as you come to church worship? Would they, would they see the same you here as at work? See, when you value integrity, you're the same wherever you find yourself. Being credible is what matters, and only you can do this if you have integrity. Whether you realize it or not, people are always watching you. Your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, even your kids. And they're seeing if your words line up with your actions. And I understand as a parent, you know, having those days where those kids, they're just not behaving. And you turn around and you say, listen, behave or else, right? I understand those moments, but your family, they are watching you. And you may come to church, you may sing the songs, you may pretend to love Jesus while you're here, but your family sees the real way you're living at home. Having good character and living with integrity is living a life that pleases God, even when no one else is looking. You have to be careful. The religious leaders love to look a certain way. They wanted others to believe that they lived righteously. They liked how people looked at them and respected them. They were trying to please people more than God. Psalm 25, 21 says, May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. You see, God can't bless you with bigger things unless you've been faithful with the smaller. And we're called to live a life that brings God honor so integrity is important. Be a person who does what they say and live the same way. Live a life of righteousness. Be more than just words. Be a person whose actions point people towards Jesus. And begin to make choices today that make a difference. This morning in your growth work, I wrote this. Who do I need to show kindness to this week? You know, maybe it's a coworker that's just been irritating you. Maybe their station isn't as clean as yours, and maybe they don't adhere to the employee handbook as well as you do. Choose to look past those faults. See the good in them. See them the way God sees them. And offer them the same kindness God has demonstrated to you. Second, choose to be a passionate follower of Christ. Be authentic. You know, am I real with God? And am I being honest with Him? What do I need to tell God? Are there things that God needs to change in your life? How are you being authentic in your life with others? If you haven't joined a small group yet, I want to encourage you to do so. Summer's ending, and it's a perfect time to start looking for a small group as the fall season starts. Small groups are a safe place for you to be real about your relationship with God, real about your struggles, 
real about the experiences in your life as we come along and do life together and be authentic with each other. And then third, am I living a credible life in front of everyone? Is my life one of integrity? Does my life match my words? Does my family see the same person when I'm here at church as when I'm at home? Live a life of credibility. See, the choices that you make today will make a difference. Let's pray this morning. You know, I've talked about making choices that make a difference in our lives. The choices you make not only make a difference in your life, it makes a difference in others and around you as well. Some of the choices we make are inconsequential, while others determine the rest of our life. While we make these simple choices without a thought, the greatest choice that you and I will ever make is the decision to invite Jesus into our life. You know, the choices we make, they become our lifestyle. And when we invite Jesus into our life, it's the greatest decision you'd ever make. And he'll change your life for the better. Inviting Jesus into your life is the biggest difference that can ever, you'll, you'll ever agree. And if you haven't invited Jesus into your life and crossed that line of faith, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. Out of all the 35,000 decisions you make, let this be the one that you make today. And so if you're ready to make that decision and cross that line of faith, will you just simply pray with me this morning and just simply say, Jesus, I choose you today. And I ask you right now to come into my life. And I don't understand it all, but I do know I need you. And so I ask that you would come and forgive me of all my mistakes, all my failures. And God, help me to live for you. God, may I live a credible life. God, may you help me to live each day for you. May my words and my actions line up with what the Bible say. And so help me to love you more and more each day, I pray. In Jesus' name. And God, for all of us, I pray today, God, help us to choose relationships, to be kind, to demonstrate kindness to others in the same way you've demonstrated kindness to us. God, may we be real, real to you when we're going through struggles and real with others. God, may our lives match up. God, help us to live each day for you. May we live passionately for you each day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us today. And if you prayed that prayer with me, we have a gift that we'd be glad to send you. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, let us know by emailing us at info at woodland.church. We'd be glad to send you this book that will help you understand the decision that you made and the next steps to take as well. 
For those of you that are here, if you prayed that prayer as well, just stop by the booth called The Crossing. Ask for that book. We'd be glad to give it to you as well. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining with us today. And I want you to go in grace, go in mercy, and go in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.